0: Love is spiritual, not natural. You ever think about that? This is absolutely miraculous. With love, you get the results now. Hi, Dr. Alex Lloyd here, and welcome to Deep Water, where we're the starting discussions. Let's talk about what's most important. Let's talk about the big issues of life, rather than just the ball game, or the weather, or the economy, or the virus. Let's talk about what matters most. Uh, recently I was in a uh, Whole Foods uh, grocery store And as we were checking out, looked over at the magazines they always had there. And one of them was Psychology Today, which I used to read all the time, uh, because that's what I did. But uh, it was my favorite cover ever of theirs. The entire front cover um, was a very um, uh, thought-provoking cover, and it said, Love, What Really Matters and that is that's in a nutshell why I started doing this okay let's let's talk about what really matters let's prioritize in our life what really matters okay today we're talking about the parenting paradox okay so this is about parenting but what do I mean by paradox well uh i mean if if uh god gave you the ability to see and experience uh, probably a thousand different moments in the life of you and your child that you're going to be having in the next eight years. Um, I'd I'd be interesting to see what percentage of us would say, um, I think I've changed my mind and I I may not want to do this at all. Uh, It's really an amazing thing to me. Uh, They say that childbirth is um, the the most painful pain you can go through on planet Earth. And the closest one for guys is kidney stones. And I had kidney stones about 25 years ago and thought I was going to die. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't talk. I fell on the floor and I was almost paralyzed, but it was just so much pain. I wasn't paralyzed. It was just so painful. Well, they say childbirth is more pain than that. Okay? And I can't ever imagine choosing to go through that kind of pain. But when a woman chooses to have a child to give birth, she knows that. Now, she may not know it experientially. Okay? And after she has the child, she may say, I didn't have any idea. But she knows it's going to be horrible, terrible pain, very likely for her, and yet in spite of that, chooses to go through it. For Hope and I, uh, that was both of our dreams. Both of us, growing up as little kids, one of the main things we envisioned and wanted for our future life was to be parents, was to have children. Now, we had no idea what we were doing uh, as the last uh, 28 years have proven. But at the time, uh, that was you know one of our number one things. We knew a lot of couples that said, we want to wait a while, enjoy each other. So there was nothing, nothing at all wrong with that, but that wasn't us. We wanted kids right off. Well, that didn't happen uh hope had three miscarriages over the first 6 years of our marriage and and we were to a place where she was depressed uh I was also uh discouraged and thinking wow I may never be a dad I may never have children and and that's what she was thinking as well and it was a very negative thing for us but if god could have shown us those 1000 moments that we would have with our child in the next 18 years. We might not have been quite so disappointed uh, with that, okay? Um, But we can't foresee, so we have to make that decision in advance. And there's something innate in us that wants to propagate, that wants to um, uh, uh, be in relationship with someone where it's a love-based thing and that's what we envision when we think about having children. But but if we knew and really grasped the facts of it, it's a really daunting thing. I did a little bit of research and um, what I found was that um, to have a child today and pay for what that child is going to need to age 17 uh, this particular research was to seventeen on average it's going to cost two hundred and thirty three thousand six hundred and ten dollars two hundred and thirty three thousand six hundred and ten dollars i mean that that's a price of a great house uh that's a price if you want to go car of like a Lamborghini or something—I mean, your dream car—that's uh, enough to retire on. That's—I mean, you know—and if you're talking two children, then that would be four hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars, almost a half a million dollars. And uh, for some children, it's much, mu- much, much more is spent than the two hundred and thirty, all the way up to millions, depending on the parents and the circumstances, of course. But you can be guaranteed that if you do even just a credible job, it's going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars or more. Besides that, it's going to to take 24,960 hours of your time until that child is 17. 24,960 hours. Hours And to give you some scale on that, uh, one year, considering every hour in an entire year, is 8,000 hours. Well, with your child, until they're 17, it's 24,000, almost 25. So you're literally talking about years of your life where you will not be able to do what you want, when you want, where you... You're giving your time to do something for the betterment of someone else, hopefully, okay, years of your life. Well, all of us, before we had children, if we'd really thought about that, can I afford a quarter of a million dollars? (laughs) That's a no-brainer answer. No, I can't. I mean, we were poor then. If we had waited till we had that kind of money, no way, and that's true with most people, all right? Uh, The 24,000 hours, we probably wouldn't have been as big a deal to Hope and I because um, uh, Hope was planning to stay home anyway with the kids. The more hours, the better. Now the problem with that is when she envisioned that, she envisioned nothing but good times. She didn't envision the staying up all night and uh, and, the haven't had sleep in six nights and and feel like I'm about to die. Uh, she didn't envision the headache. She didn't envision the screaming and yelling. She didn't envision the child not remotely doing what she uh, told the child to do or not to do. Uh, she didn't envision all of the friction when the children are teenagers and, and the pain of that. She didn't envision the insults that might come from the children when they're mad. All right, you don't think about that, right? But if we did, it it may be good that we don't, because if we did, um, there may be a good bit less children. So, so knowing all of that, at least to some degree, why do we do it? Well. I think we do it because we're built for relationship. Every issue in life, I don't care if it's cancer, I don't care if it's financial, career, every issue in life at its root boils down to a relationship issue. Some way, somewhere. We are built and programmed for relationship. That's why the most horrible torture you could ever do to someone is not like the Chinese water drop or waterboarding or cutting them even or electrocution. Yeah, those are horrible. But but what is considered the very worst torture is solitary confinement. And they have strict rules now set by the government if you put someone in solitary confinement, it can't be for longer than this at a time and you have to let them do this and do that. Why, why did they put those laws in there? Because they literally go insane. Literally, mentally insane. A high percentage of them if they just stayed in solitary. Okay, Why? Because it goes against our most fundamental purpose and reason for being here relationship. And the ultimate of relationship is a loving situation with someone that literally comes from the union of your body. It, it's blood of your blood and flesh of your flesh. Okay, And there's a bond there, and every one of you that has children knows this, that surpasses any other relationship, even a spouse sometimes, okay? So, I believe that's why we do it, because of this innate thing for relationship, and the ultimate relationship would be someone who's blood of my blood, flesh of my flesh, they've got my back, I've got theirs, there's honor and respect there, and um and, and it's a loving, great, positive relationship. And then even when I'm old, they're there to help me transition, maybe to take care of me. Uh, but I'm not alone, which again is that worst possible situation like solitary confinement. And old people at the end of their life, completely alone, is one of the saddest things you'll ever see. And that's always what They dislike the most, and what they long for is the people that they have loved and that have loved them and their family. And not having them at that point in life is just crushing to many of them. Okay? So I I believe that's why we do it. Alright? At least most of us. Okay? But, but, what do we hope? What do we pray? What do we dream for our children? Well... I think for most of us, it's that they'll be healthy and happy and that we'll have a great relationship with them, right? Healthy and happy, and we'll have a great relationship. Well, if that's true, then how come on average, if you have four children, you are going to have periods of time with all four of them when your relationship is like this? when nobody's having fun, when nobody's happy, everybody's unhappy. Okay? H- how does that happen? Okay, well let's start with the health part. Um, for a hundred years when in Western medicine, when someone's not feeling bad, they come in, they run tests, and then the doctor calls them back in and says, Hey, I need you to come back in to discuss the test results. And then the doctor says, I hate to have to tell you this, but the test results came back and you have, and then they drop it on you. Uh, Cancer, heart disease, um, Parkinson's, uh, whatever, okay? And uh, doctors don't like that situation either. It's probably the one they dread the most. They've got feelings. They care about people, at least the great majority of them that I've known. All right, so giving bad news is hard. But then, in that same scenario, when the person calms down, they may start crying or just can't say anything for a minute. You know, after hearing that, Um, they'll usually ask this question. Well, how did I get this? I have a twin brother. I have two sisters and three brothers and none of them have this. My parents don't have this. How did I get this? Where did it come from? Well, by far the number one answer for the last hundred years in Western medicine is three words. We don't know. Okay? Yes. It it happens all the time that two people have the same parents, largely the same DNA, grow up in the same circumstances, have the same experiences, and one of them is in great health, one of them is in terrible health. How can that be? All right? Well, Southwestern uh, Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, a hospital and a a teaching facility, uh, did a study to try to determine that. instead of just telling everybody we don't know or maybe stress or genetics and stress but we still end up with we don't know they were doing a study to try to figure out where does what where does disease and illness come from all right and after several years they finished the study and announced they had found it victory for the first time in western medicine we can confidently say where illness and disease come from comes from. And um, Dr. Eric Nessler, a medical doctor from Harvard, who was the head of the department at Southwestern, was interviewed after the research was released. And he said some amazing things. He said this, he said, For most, for most illnesses and diseases today, our treatments are little more than Band-Aids, addressing an illness or disease's symptoms, but not its source harnessing this new knowledge of where illness and disease comes from is going to help us in the future to start really addressing the root and possibly heal the cancer in a way we never have been able to before, etc. Okay? He also said once we figure out how to heal this source that we found, it's going to change everything because we'll be able to to, to heal these things that we've not been able to heal before. And he says we're naming the source Cellular Memories. Okay? Um, just delete the word cellular, like pushing the delete button on your computer. Delete the word cellular. He's talking about your memories. If you have memories with anger in them, with low self-worth, with insecurity, I'm not safe, or rejection, if you have memories with unforgiveness, if you have memories with anger or irritation in them, okay, those memories don't just sit there and behave themselves. They send a fear or anger or whatever it is signal to the hypothalamus in the brain, which causes the hypothalamus to flip on the stress switch, the fight or flight switch, okay? well. The first thing that happens when the fight or flight switch is flipped is your immune system is turned off or way down. Why? Because fight or flights only supposed to happen if my life is in imminent danger in the next 5 or 10 minutes. Like the the tractor trailer pulling over on me or, or falling off the edge of a cliff that would kill me or something like that. Imminent mortal danger. It's supposed to happen once or twice a year. So it's fine to turn my immune system off for 10 minutes in order to save my life and that's the way it's supposed to work. Only we've had a devolution in our memories over centuries and millennium to the point that we now have so many anger and fear and low self-worth and rejection and unforgiveness and I'm not okay and I'm not safe and we've got so many of those passed down from generations. Each generation does all their own and then passes them on to the next generation. The next generation adds theirs to the pile and passes them on to the next generation. So the average person today is going into fight-or-flight stress five to thirty times a day over things that are not remotely life-threatening. Like uh, something not coming in the mail. Somebody cutting me off in traffic. Somebody looking at me funny. Not getting to go on my vacation. Um, those things aren't supposed to send us into fight or flight stress. Disappointed, yes, but fear, anger, sadness, rejection, identity—no, wor- uh, no. no That—that's that's a that's a malfunction in the way that we're supposed to work. That has devolved over millennia. But, but, they did find the source. So the source of health is your memories. And I would say the source of happiness, which is positive emotions and and feelings and positive thoughts, that is also from your cellular memories. Because here's how it works. When that fear or anger signal is sent to the hypothalamus, It doesn't just turn my immune system off or down, it also gives me negative thoughts instead of positive and negative feelings and emotions instead of positive. And for the same reason. So I'll punch harder, fight, or run faster, flee, to save my life. Okay? So that malfunction basically takes away my health and my happiness. Okay, so the biggest issue in this subject of parenting so far is the memories that these children come into life already programmed with, which is from their ancestors, including the parents, and then the additional memories that happen as my wife and I raise them up as our children, meaning what do we say to them What are our facial expressions toward them? What's our tone of voice? What are the actions and behaviors we express toward them? That's what's going to program them. That's what's going to become their cellular memories that typically in adulthood lead to their health and happiness or illness, disease, anger, despair, low self-worth, etc. Okay? So as parents... My wife and I are the number one programmers, just like a computer programmer making a new software program. These are new beings, new children, alright? And as they grow, we're programming them. We're, we're programming them by creating the memories of their life. And we do that with our circumstances and how we act and react toward them, okay? Um, So, so, what's happening is that the statistics are that three out of every four people you see in your family, at a church service, at a sports gathering, at some club uh, gathering, at school, in every group you're in, the statistics are that three out of every four of those people have been abused in some way to some extent in their life. Abuse meaning physically or non-physically, non-physically emotionally, being yelled at, being belittled, being uh, told they're not worth much, being told they're bad, um, all of the above. All right, the programming, what we're doing that is programming them. All right, by the time they get to be adults, the statistics are that three out of four have been abused. And those and abuse are the number one memories, they're called trauma memories. They're the number one memories that cause our hypothalamus to flip, turns on fight or flight turns off our immune system, gives us negative thoughts and feelings instead of positive, and causes those children, now as adults, instead of being healthy and happy, which is what you started out at, very often they're to some degree unhealthy and unhappy. Here's kind of how it works. I'm the worst drawer in the entire world. My wife is a... Wonderful artist. So opposites do attract sometimes, but um, here's your here's your brain. Okay, that's your brain. Uh, the latest thing I the latest research I've seen is that the capacity of your brain now is about 10 times what they had always thought it is. And it is one quadrillion bits of information. How much is that? That's the capacity of the entire internet. So our memory storage is the capacity of the entire internet. Which means that's enough for a whole lifetime of stuff. Probably 20 lifetime of stuff with... Room to spare, okay? So there's no danger of it getting filled up. The stuff that happens is going to continue to be downloaded. There's always going to be space for it, okay? So the thing you do toward your children today, it's going to become part of their programming, guaranteed, all right? But here's how it works. Let's say that uh, in your brain, it's a minus 10 To plus 10 range of those memories, positive to negative. Plus 10 would be nothing but positive, loving, happy, healthy, wonderful, life affirming, uh, wonderful identity, significant, secure, forgiven, accepted, uh, love, joy, peace, all of that. All right, that would be plus 10. Minus 10 would be unforgiveness. I, I have a bad identity. I'm a bad person. I don't measure up. I'm not secure. Uh, I, I'm afraid to get around to anybody because I'm a bad person and they'll sense that. And, or I just become angry and say, I'm going to paste on a smile, but then I'm going to get whatever I can get from people. So I end up lying a lot and, and things like that in order to manipulate to get what I want. Because I feel so bad about myself inside, that's all that's left is is getting what feels good and keeping away what feels bad. Okay, that would be minus 10. But most people are not in either one of those. Okay, they're somewhere in between. Okay, and the red is negative energy. The green is positive energy, alright? So the child comes into the world already programmed uh, by memories passed down from ancestors. They're passed down in the sperm and they're passed down in the RNA. There's no question about that. It's proven now. I believe they're passed down in the egg as well. They just haven't proved that one yet, but they will, okay? So the the child is already programmed from ancestors. Now, it's not it's not programmed in a way that they can go back and remember what happened during the depression, you know, on a certain day It's programmed and they experience it with impulses. When they think about this, they feel bad. When they think about this, they feel good. Well, that's coming from the programming of all those past events from their ancestry. And then instantly when they're born, they start to receive programming from mom and dad. Both positive, negative, what they overhear. Now, for the first few years of life, that's going to be unconscious. They're not going to remember that for the most part. They'll remember a few things. My early, I, can, I have one memory of running out of my diaper. So that's the age I was at then. That's probably my earliest memory, but I have very few around that time period. Most people, that's largely unconscious. Then the subconscious is really hard to remember but maybe you can remember it. Or, at a, or it floats up at a particular time, but you hadn't remembered it before that. That's the subconscious. And then the conscious is conscious thinking, intention, what you intend to do, and your emotions. Okay. Um, so as soon as the kid is born, you start adding to that. All right. But when the child is born, this positive-negative ratio already exists somewhere. Okay, so for this particular child, this would be zero. So for this particular child, maybe it's a minus five when they're born from their ancestry. Well, can you imagine how that child is going to feel and think differently than a child born at plus five? At minus five, the child is largely going to have negative thoughts negative emotions and feelings. They're going to be much more self-protective, not going to be real open. Uh, they'll tend to get angry easily, frustrated, uh, things like that. All right. At plus five, the child is probably very open, not afraid of people because there's not hurt stored in there from their ancestors related to people. Okay. Um, they're probably going to recover from uh, painful situations much quicker. Their immune system is going to be working much better than this one's because this child is in fight-or-flight a lot because of that minus 5, okay? Um, so there there can be a dramatic difference in where where is the child programming-wise when they're born and then immediately this programming starts to change based on mom and dad. So uh, some wonderful stuff happens to this child from mom and dad, really fantastic mom and dad. So, you know, a little while later, they're not at minus five anymore. They're at minus one and getting happier and happier and happier. uh, Their health is getting better because, boy, they're just being bathed in love and kindness and truth and all that stuff. But what if this kid, who starts at plus five, has parents that don't get along, they don't like each other, uh, they get divorced, um, there's a lot of yelling and screaming, well, this kid could go from minus five to minus one in a period of time, and now their health is getting worse and more and more negative thoughts, feelings, and emotions as opposed to the more positive when they started. But this never stops. So what does that mean? It means there's always hope. No matter where you are on this scale, even if you're at a minus 10 or a minus 9, okay, this stuff can be healed. This stuff can be fixed. It can be changed, all right? Uh, it's, it's really what I was taught in 8th grade physics, okay? What does E equals mc squared mean? You've heard of that, right, from Einstein? Well, Professor William Tiller, the head of the physics department at Stanford, explained this to me at breakfast one morning. He said, it's really simple, Alex. The E stands for energy and mc squared is everything so what the what the equation means is everything boils down to energy okay so this bottle seems like it's a solid thing but really at its most basic element It's the energy, and you can change that energy by acting on it with other energy. When I was growing up, they had a Memorex commercial with Ella Fitzgerald, and they showed a wine glass, and then Ella hit this wonderful, fabulous note and held it, and the glass shattered. That's how energy changes energy, and energy's never destroyed. It just changes forms from... Uh, ice to water to steam, from wood to fire to heat. Never destroyed but changes. So everything that's happening is changing this minus 10 to plus 10 ratio from the time we're a fetus uh, until the day that we die. Which means I have the power to help someone's ratio go more and more and more and more positive if I love them within an inch of their life, am kind to them, am am helpful to them, am honest and truthful with them, encouraging, putting them before myself, then every time they're around me, they're gonna inch a little bit more positive. But we also know that there's people who are negative all the time. And it's like you feel like you need a shower after being around them for an hour or two. Or if you're around someone who's extremely negative, you will you will get to a place where you will lie to get away. Oh, I forgot. I have to go get a haircut. Oh, I forgot. I have to wash my hair. You don't even know what you're saying. You just know i got to get away from this person. This is killing me. Well... What's happening is that person is dumping negative energy into you and shifting you over. And then after you get away from them, you're going to have to go recover a little bit you know, to let that rebound. right, But, but anyway, this is in constant flux. So, to me, as parents, our Yes, we want them to be healthy and happy and that goes back to their memories and their memories are on a range from extremely negative or completely negative to completely positive. The positive ones send a message to the brain which causes it to flip the love switch where oxytocin is released, endorphins, peptides, and we just feel fantastic and wonderful and and positive and life is beautiful, all right? That's what those positive memories in us do if there aren't too many of the negative ones. The problem is the unconscious mind prioritizes the negative ones. Why? Because they're tied to our survival instinct. And they're only supposed to happen in life or death situations. And the number one job of the unconscious mind is to keep you physically alive. So it prioritizes the negative memories, especially the trauma ones. Alright? So you've got to have a tool to heal those. Uh, and, and we do. You, or pray that they be healed. And I believe prayer is the most powerful thing of all. Alright? But if you feel negative in your mind and heart. You can be sure that your positive-negative ratio is too negative. And to change that, you have to heal some of those memories and the more you do, the more positive it will get. And and um, what I think is a wonderful thing to shoot for is to be plus seven or above. And to me, that's the high country. that very few people ever get to, but when you do, it's absolutely um, incredible. Okay, so that's sort of the, the physiology, bi- biology, psychology of, of the, par- the parental situation, okay, and what we're wanting versus what we tend to get with the abuse. And by the way, da- abuse um, has enormous impact on your thoughts, feelings, emotions, all right? But it doesn't have to be abuse. It can be very negative without being abuse and still move you over more and more to the negative, okay? So abuse is on a continuum from total abuse to negative, but not measuring up maybe to what you would call abuse, all right? But those are still traumas. Even if they don't measure up to abuse, all right? And those traumas over to the negative, all right? So, to me, our job as parents is to try to help our children grow up to be healthy and happy. And if I understand how it works, then I'm a lot better equipped to help them do that. Now, in order to do that, I may have to change me first, I may not be capable. being over here with my children because this is where I really am inside this is what I feel okay so if that's you you need to get some of our tools and and find these issues for your life and heal them and a lot of times they can heal in minutes or days not years with the right tools and we've got those okay and you need to start praying your head off about those issues that they will be healed and I believe that's the best thing that you can do. And confront them, all right? Instead of locking them away and, and arranging your life to never think about them, go there intentionally, okay? And face up to it and feel it. And then work to resolve it however you best can. Asking God to heal it, uh, writing a letter to a person, whatever you need to do, okay? Having a conversation, reasoning with yourself, um, h- however you do that, that, that works. Okay, <clears throat> so we've had children, we understand how this works, they come in already programmed, so maybe one of the first courses of action is, is where do they seem to be on this scale, and that tells me how positive to negative they've been programmed through the ancestry Alright? And if they're a over here, then my job's not near as hard as if they're way over here. Okay? Um, but, I intentionally can be a part every day of moving them farther and farther over. Alright? You probably heard the research that um, the average child needs 10 positives to one negative in order to be okay when they get to adulthood. Some some studies say 20 to 1, but the minimum is 10 to 1 and that same research says that the average child these days is getting 10 negatives to every one positive. What does that mean? It means we get a whole bunch of adults who are over here instead of over here, which uh, Over here is lying. Over here is stealing. Over here is manipulating. Over here is having a bad attitude. Over here is yelling at people. Over here is being selfish. So we end up with a lot of those kind of people because of our own programming and the programming that they came in to the world with from the ancestry. Um, I was listening to a, uh, uh, a teaching one day by uh, a psychologist and they were saying uh, they, that a client came in and, and they were having all kinds of problems with their children saying, I just, I just don't understand it. We raised them exactly the same way. And the psychologist was teaching that's what they did wrong. They raised them the same way. No two kids are alike. You have to raise them based on what's best for that kid. All right? Uh, Our firstborn, Harry, does not care anything about sports, Okay, I grew up uh, doing sports all my life, watching sports, participating in sports. It was a big part of my life. Uh, When I had children, you know, you have these daydreams of them winning Wimbledon or being the Super Bowl quarterback or whatever. So you start them in soccer and peewee baseball. Well, Harry hated that stuff, okay? Uh, I remember his first soccer game. uh, Every time they put him out on the field, he would stand there looking at the clover. (laughs) He wasn't even looking at the ball. And so, you know, I very quickly realized, hey, Harry's not wired that way, so I need to treat him based on the way he is built and wired. And I did. And we never... We completely got off of sports totally for Harry because that just wasn't him. He was unhappy doing that. Now, George was the opposite. He loves sports, okay? Still does today. But you raise them based on, you raise them differently, not the same, based on them and what is best for them and what moves them farther and farther over to this side. Um,. the uh, the biggest issues okay of all issues are significance and security significance and security significance is your identity and worth who am I am I a good person or am I a bad person security is is uh, am I safe, primarily? Both physically and emotionally. So this is the the category for rejection. I've never known a person that did not have a rejection issue and those are big issues. Okay? But it's also physical safety. So, uh, free from abuse. um, They're not in a war zone. Now, you may not be able to help that. All right. So you get through it as best you can and then try to heal it afterwards. All right? But significance and security are the big issues and they go the way these memories go and the energy of your memories is. Okay? So if you're way over here, chances are that kid's going to feel pretty significant and secure. They're going to be okay. They're going to be confident, you might say. But if you're way over here, You're gonna feel insignificant, probably like you're a bad person, and that you're not safe. So you either hide, which is in fight or flight, it's flee, or you become angry and hurt other people, which is fight. All right? But whichever one you do, it's over here out of negative thoughts, negative feelings, negative emotions, not positive. Okay? So um, those are the two big areas to make a child feel safe, physically and non-physically, and significant. You are a good person. You are made, built, good. All right. Um, spanking. Um, not as big a deal today, but boy, when I was growing up, I think every all parents spanked. I was spanked a number of times. Uh, several of my life traumas. Were from spanking, all right? And Hope and I um, were both really uncomfortable with that uh, because uh, I think we understood some of this stuff and were like, "How could hitting somebody do anything but make it worse?" And most of the people that we knew did it based on a verse from the Bible that says, "Spare the rod and spoil the child." Okay. And, uh, I mean, I heard that 10 million times uh, the time when I was a child. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Bam! And then now I've got a new trauma and farther and farther over here. All right? Well, um, I did 10 years of ministry out of undergraduate. And while I was doing that, I went to a world-renowned theologian. And I ask him, okay, all these verses about child raising, spare the rod, spoil the child, and all these others, with, in the original language and in the, the context of the original language, whatever they said, um, what is this trying to get across? Is this trying to get across you should spank your children? Or does it even address that? What, what is it getting across? And, oh, I love the answer. And, and and here was the answer. Alex, it does not mean to spank. It means to teach. To teach. Does not mean spank. Means to teach. Well, that was such great news, but I, I almost couldn't believe it because I'd heard this spare the rod and spoil the child so much, so I went and asked a couple of other theologians who didn't know this guy or each other all independent, and they gave me the same reason. No, it does not mean spank, it means to teach. And um, it's amazing to me that another verse from the Bible says for parents not to exasperate their children and cause them to lose heart. Well, I can tell you that the spankings I received as a child were in my top ten of causing me to be exasperated, angry, frustrated, and lose heart. That's exactly what they did in me. The very thing that another verse says, don't do. So it's amazing how sometimes people pick out one thing but not another. So Hope and I uh, made a commitment, a a vow. We are never going to hit our kids. okay, Uh, In anger or not, but especially in anger, but even, even without anger, we are not going to hit our kids. We're going to try to teach them. When Harry was born, um, I was so excited because, like I said, we'd been wanting kids for so long. But the day Harry was born, uh, right after his birth, he was you know behind the glass in the incubator. They hadn't even taken him to his mother yet. They were warming him up. And I was looking at him through the glass, and all of a sudden, a panic came over me. Okay. Uh I don't have any idea how to do this right. I'm going to screw this up for sure. Okay? And I thought of some of the huge mistakes my father had made and how they had hurt me and and been a trauma to me and kicked me way over here for a good of, for a good bit of my life. And I was really terrified for a minute. And then I heard a voice in my head. I assumed it was God. Don't have proof of that. I believe that. But here's what the voice said, and I, I, it wasn't an audible voice. I know it was in my head. Um, and here's what the voice said, Alex, if you can accomplish this, that when Harry, we named him Harry, when Harry is 18, number one, he'll still be physically alive, <laughs> pretty good thing, and number two, he will know 100% beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is completely loved exactly the way he is. If you can accomplish those two things, you will have done okay. And I just felt my body and mind relax. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can do that. And, and ever since, that has been my filter for for parenting, okay? Is this going to contribute to Harry knowing he is loved unconditionally no matter what forever? Or is it going to take away from that? Okay? And that's been a wonderful uh, compass to get my north in about a thousand different conversations um, with Harry. So, I do not believe, I I, I believe paradoxically that for hundreds of years parents have done something believing they were doing the right thing, spanking and hitting, all the while doing one of the most harmful things they could have ever done and, and kicking their child more and more over this way and creating new traumas and debatable even abuse uh, and and I knew we had friends when we were young and had small children. We had friends who carried whips around in their car at, for the purpose of, you know, if, if their kid did something wrong while they're out away from home, they can whack them real quick. And I mean, they would whack them. It would leave a red place, sometimes a welt. Okay? all the time thinking they're doing the best thing for that child, well um, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, So anyway, um, I I, I believe that's your north. Okay, That your overall is for them to be healthy and happy and for you to have a great loving relationship with them. And so you understand how this works and every day try to get their their memories a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more positive, okay? Um, And and your North is, for them by the time they're 18, or if they're over 18, uh, by this time next year, to not only believe, but feel, to feel they are 100% loved and accepted by you exactly how they are forever, and that'll never change, all right? So, And that guides your behavior and how you talk to them and, and how you interact and when you don't say something versus when you do, etc. Um, raising Harry and George, I'll give you a couple of examples. One time I totally blew it, which I did all the time, and one where I uh, somehow, by the grace of God, I got it right. All right, When George was probably two years old or something like that, George is twenty now, um, we were out in the backyard playing, just having a marvelous time. So much fun. I mean, uh, we were making a great memory. I I heard one writer call them frozen moments. We were making a frozen moment, just having so much fun. And um, a storm was coming. It was in the summer. It was warm outside. And I just didn't want to go in. We were having such a great time just laughing and laughing and laughing and hugging and, and, you know, just wonderful. And But the storm kept getting closer, all right? And I could hear thunder in the distance, but it wasn't here yet. So we kept playing, kept playing, and I waited too long, okay? And... All of a sudden, the storm was right on top of us, and I grabbed George up to run into the house, started running, we were probably 75 feet from the back door, and man, this clap of lightning and thunder hit, and it shook the ground, and it sounded like it was right on us, and and I looked in George's face, and he was terrified, Okay? But what was interesting that I found out later is that what he was more terrified about than the noise and the situation is that he looked in my face and saw me afraid for the first time he could remember ever seeing me afraid. That's what scared him even more, was what he saw in my face. But of course, the thunderclap did too. And I looked in his face and I immediately knew this is a trauma. He is absolutely terrified. And sure enough, for weeks after that, we'd be outside playing, all of us, and it'd be a beautiful day. And there'd be one little cotton ball, puffy cloud just e- easily floating the, across the sky, which was really beautiful, and George would get in a panic. Let I wanna go in the house, we gotta go in the house, gotta go in the house, gotta go in the house. Go in the house. Whoa, 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 what's up, George? Uh, Storm, storm, storm. And he'd point at that little puffball cloud. Um, So, and that went on until we were able to heal that memory, uh, which is what you need to do with these as well. The ones that you can remember, the ones your parents can tell you about, uh, etc. All right. And there's quick ways usually to do that. So use them. But anyway, we had to heal that. Or George maybe for the rest of his life would have been afraid anytime he saw anything that might be a storm. But see this too. What he was afraid of was a lie. And the problem in every memory that has a problem is always an untruth. What was his untruth? There was no danger. That puffball cloud, there's no possibility there was going to be a storm. He was believing a lie. And that's always the case, okay? In every memory that is over here in the red and that needs to be healed. There's always an untruth. The untruth is typically the therefore. Because I got caught in that storm before, therefore there might be a storm today with that puffball cloud. No, 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 no. Yeah, there was that storm before, but there's no chance of a storm today now. That's just a little puffball cloud, not a storm cloud. So George was believing a lie until we healed and fixed that. So that's one I really blew, okay, as a, as a parent. The other one, I was working in my office, and um, my office was on the bottom floor of the house, and there was a hallway, and then at the other end of the hallway downstairs was the playroom. Okay? And I was working over here and Harry was playing over here. Okay? And I I don't know, I was on the phone or something and I heard a crash, like glass breaking. So I immediately quit what I was doing and ran to the playroom because I knew Harry was by himself in there playing to see if he was okay. And I stopped as soon as I got to the door and looked at what had happened. And what had happened is that Harry had been playing uh, kicking a ball that he knew he was not supposed to kick in the house, and it hit Mom's favorite lamp, knocked it over, and it shattered all over the floor. Okay, so I'm standing there looking at that and and Harry's face, Harry's probably four years old, something like that. Harry's face was, it's like he was trying to figure out how he should react. But he was obviously a little bit afraid, a little nervous. Okay, how are mom and dad going to react to this? Am I going to get in trouble, etc.? Okay, so I stop and that's what I see. And then the very next moment, Hope here had heard the crash and she comes about halfway down the stairs that are right here. And so it's a triangle. Hope is halfway up the stairs looking at me and looking at George and her broken lamp on the floor. I was here on the floor looking at George and Hope and George was looking at me and Hope. Alright, and we were all just like frozen in time for a second. Then I saw this face come over Hope's face, which was anger, upset and anger, at her favorite lamp being broken. Not necessarily at Harry, but at her favorite lamp being broken, okay? And the instant that anger came over her face, I was watching George's face, and all of a sudden, his little chin starts to tremble, and he's about to cry. Okay, because he is feeling bad, negative, in trouble, Um, I'm bad, from the expression on Hope's face. Okay, well, in an instant, something came over me. I, I believe it was God. I don't even believe it was me. I didn't even think. I immediately ran to Harry as fast as I could, grabbed him up in my arms and and started talking in his ear. Harry, I love you so much. Harry, don't you worry one second about that lamp. That is just a thing. That lamp is not important. You are what's important. Don't you worry about that a minute. We can get another one. It is completely okay. Now, I did all of that on instinct. I did not logic. Okay, what would be the best? No, I I just did it. Okay? Now, Hope was not real wild about me doing that because she was still angry and Harry had just broken her. But, But here's the deal. First of all, she got over it quickly and we were fine. All right? Three times in Harry's life, Harry has come to me and said, Hey, Dad, you remember that time I broke that lamp? I said, yeah. He said, that was a real turning point for me. That is when I really started to believe that I was loved and safe no matter what. That is when it started. Now, don't misunderstand. I blew it a lot more than I got it right, I think. And and all of us will. All you can do is get back on the horse. And and if you make a mistake, um, there's two things. Number one, listen. Okay? Listen to your children and don't interrupt. Ask them how they feel about something and don't interrupt. and, And value what they're saying just like you would any adult or maybe even more. Okay? Number 2. I'm sorry. When you blow it, tell them you blew it. George, I'm so sorry. You being afraid of the storm is completely my fault. I kept you out longer than I should have, I probably knew it was longer than I should have, I was thinking more about me than I was about you, I'm so sorry, or whatever it is, I'm sorry I yelled at you about taking out the uh, laundry, I'm sorry I yelled at you about um, not picking up your room, I'm sorry I made you feel so bad about the grade, Um, whatever it is. I'm sorry, Uh, sincere from the heart, I'm sorry, and listening for as long as they want to talk to you will heal almost any situation I've ever seen. Okay, now, the exception to that is if you never do that at all until they're, you know, 30, 40, 50, and then you come and say you're sorry, you should still do it, and very often that will still heal it. But if you start young with that, there's no way you'll ever get to that situation. Okay? Um, One other thing I wanted to cover. Um, There are five brain states delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. Okay? They all do different things, kind of similar to brain chemicals, you know, for depression or not being depressed, sleep or not sleeping, you know, that sort of thing but these are brain states. Delta, Theta, Alpha, Beta, Gamma. The first five, six, eight, ten years of life is the only time in our entire life that we live in Delta, Theta, brainwave state. Okay? And those first years of life, we do. We live in Delta, Theta, brainwave state. Once we get to that age, and it's different for different people, 6, 8, 10, whatever, we shift out of Delta Theta into all of the different ones, but consciously, for most of the time, Beta. And Beta is the brain state of stress. Okay? It doesn't have to be stressed, but if there is stress, it puts you into Beta. Okay? Um, The thing about Delta Theta It's when we're in Delta Theta, we don't have the ability to logic or filter what happens. Okay? I had a client from um, New York. Uh, She worked on Wall Street. Had 180 IQ, and articles had literally been written about how she would be the next mover and shaker on Wall Street, but she had never been able to break through. She said, it's been ridiculous. Right when I'm about to make a big breakthrough... um, I. It's like I don't want to succeed. I do something stupid to sabotage myself. Well, what we found is that that went back to a memory she had at five years old at lunchtime. uh, She had a sister and at that event, five years old at lunchtime, in the summer, her mother had given her sister a popsicle but wouldn't give her one. And her mother had said to her sister, I'm sorry, her mother said to her, Honey, your sister's already had a good lunch. When you have a good lunch, I'll give you a popsicle too. Okay? That's the memory, according to my client, that had ruined her life from age 5 to about 30. How could that be uh, who, who did the bad thing in that event? Who did the bad thing in that memory? No one. No one did anything wrong. What the mother did was not wrong. We've all said stuff like that, right? And as best she could recall, her mother even said it with a good tone of voice and body language. The reason it became, the reason it became programmed into her as a major trauma... Okay? It's because she was in delta-theta brainwave state. And you don't have the ability to logic or filter then. Why? Because you don't have time to logic or filter. And at five years old, something might kill you. And remember, the number one job of the unconscious mind is to keep you physically alive. So in those first few years, when you're most likely to die accidentally... You have a system that you think in that acts really, really super fast without logic. It's just impulse, okay? And and it's stimulus response. Like, put your hand on the stove, you'll never do it again, all right? But because she was 5 and was in Delta Theta, she also had a trauma programmed into her that was never a trauma, but because it was programmed as a trauma, it acted like a trauma and had ruined her life from then on. And here's how it got programmed. If my mother gave my sister a popsicle and doesn't give me one, it must mean my sister, my mom loves my sister more than me. That's the big one. If my mom loves my sister more than me, there must be something wrong with me. And number three, if there's something wrong with me, then when I get out in the world, even though I've got 180 IQ, I'm going to fail because something's wrong with me. I'm defective. And she had been acting that out unconsciously ever since her entire life. When we fixed that memory, pulled the lie out, if you will, Um, she went straight through the roof, got the big, huge promotion, and became the mover and shaker on Wall Street. All right, so what's the point? The point is that three out of four have experienced some sort of abuse. It is my belief that 100% of the ones who've not experienced abuse have Popsicle memories that are acting like traumas, even though they shouldn't. Okay, um, so there's none of us that have none of these issues, and no matter how great a parent you're gonna, you, you can be, your kids are still gonna have some traumas it, because if they don't get the real ones, they'll get some popsicle ones, and the way the popsicle ones work, uh how big a trauma is determined by how much adrenaline was released at the time. So a five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum? Man, that is massive adrenaline, like spewing adrenaline. So that thing is categorized as a level one or two trauma, okay? Even though no one did anything wrong. Okay, what's the point? The point is we're all going to have this stuff happen you shouldn't feel guilt and shame about it. You should just get back on the horse and, and start working to get your memories more and more positive and the memories of the people that you love, in this case your children, more and more positive. Encouragement. Um, loving them. Speaking the truth in love. Doing the truth in love toward them. Letting them know and feel that they are 100% completely loved exactly the way they are. Uh, I would say no hitting or anything like that, whether physical hitting or emotional hitting. All right. Those can leave scars that are almost impossible to ever get rid of. All right. So, love those kids. All right. But uh, where I started. The problem is, a lot of us are trying to raise our kids this way when we're this way. And that's how we feel inside, which means we basically have to fake it to be kind to our kids. And even if we're really good at faking it, the kids will still intuitively sense that something's not right. So, before you can do this, you may need to do some work to heal yourself, and get yourself over there, or at least at the same time, while you're raising your children, trying to act toward them this way, even though you feel this way, be working on yourself every day to get yourself more and more over that way so that as quickly as you can, you are feeling here and acting here, which means you're in harmony, not in conflict with yourself, which is all, which always creates a lot of stress. So... To me, those are that's the paradox of parenting, and it's one of the most important jobs, uh, if not the most important job there is on planet Earth. And someone who does that well, man, at the end of your life, you will rest easy. You will look back at your life and smile. I don't care how many times you went bankrupt, or how poor you were, or what other people necessarily even thought of you, if you did a fabulous, great job with your children, which means at those end days, you have great relationships with them and they're right there and you're loving each other and and there's all that wonderful internal feeling, you will know and feel like you had a successful life. Flip that upside down. If you get to the end of your life and you've got millions of dollars and you're world famous and everybody thinks you're the greatest but your relationship with your kids is down here, you're going to feel like an absolute failure. That one factor makes all the difference. And it's parenting. And no matter how much you've screwed up, you can still fix it. At least as far as your part goes. By saying, I'm sorry, speaking the truth in love, and not giving up, even if they throw it back at you because they're angry over the traumas you put into their life, you keep telling them, I'm so sorry, I love you. Write them a card once a week, or a letter once a week, or anytime you can, I'm just so sorry. I, I totally deserve the way you're treating me, but I hope someday, maybe, If you're comfortable, we can be friends again. And I'm so sorry and ask you again to please forgive me. Never, never give up. Okay? Because that flesh and blood bond is still there. I guarantee you that adult child now would love to have that relationship with you. They're just afraid of it because all their programming says you're going to hurt them again. And they've been trying to fix that and get away from it their whole life. Alright? So... Be patient, okay? Um, all right. Uh, uh, to me, this is the start of a discussion, not the end. I don't have all the solutions, but um, uh, let's start talking about it. And let's let's not only as parents, but as friends, as neighbors, as co-workers, uh, as fellow human beings, try to live more and more over here, in our own life and treat others over here with our body language, our words, our facial expressions, our microfacial expressions that you can't fake from the heart. Being kind to people, loving people, caring about people, not dependent on how they treat us, but because we're determined this is where I'm gonna live no matter what anyone else chooses to do. And coincidentally we know this is the source of of illness and disease and unhappiness or health and happiness, which is where we all start out. That's where we all start wanting that end result. That's where it is. Back to the concept of uh, paradoxical parenting. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote all of the uh, Narnia books that were turned into movies a number of years ago, uh, had a wonderful quote, I thought, that came from his life and uh, and and maybe the most painful thing that ever happened to him, his wife dying uh, at a young age. And the quote was, The happiness now is part of the pain later. And I think that's one thing that um, going into parenting you know, I wasn't really prepared for. I wasn't prepared for the pain part. I was prepared for the, you know, uh, holding your baby and um, cuddling and uh, getting down in the floor and playing with them and uh, taking pictures when they are in the school play or do some athletic event. or And, and, and pretty much all that stuff, you know, feels good but before you have kids, that's going to be fun. That's, that's going to feel good. What we're not prepared for, I think, and maybe there's no way you can be, and maybe if you could fully be prepared, you might reconsider uh, having children, wh- which I don't think is is the right answer. I'll, I'll address that in a minute. But going through pain together is such a huge part of love, and and, and I'm not sure you can even really get to Uh, deep, intimate, communal love without going through pain together. But for sure going through pain together and coming out the other side uh, enhances it a great deal. Um, A wonderful example of that I call foxhole love. Um, Soldiers who have fought in wars, and literally been in foxholes, like on the front lines and, and things like that. Uh, for the rest of their life, those men or women that they were in foxholes with are precious to them. I, I mean, they will tell them things they won't tell anyone else, and, and vice versa, uh, they value that, that relationship so much that most of them feel like, I don't have anyone else in my life like these people, okay? Uh, I had some clients who went through wars and were t- traumatized by wars, uh, PTSD and stuff like that, to the point that they were really never the same again. It, it negatively affected their whole life. And I remember being surprised when I asked them If you could go back and not be in the war, which means you wouldn't have PTSD and all this negative effect on your life, would you do it? And everyone that I asked that of asked me a question before they answered it. And they said, well, if I made that decision, does that mean I wouldn't have my war buddies that I have now? And I said, well, I guess it wouldn't, because chances are you never even would have met them. And then every one of them independently said, "If that's the case, then I would choose to have gone to war and be going through this terrible thing now. I, I would not give up those people in my life for anything." Okay, and typically at their death, uh, those people are the ones that are there, and and they're telling stories and and laughing and crying and and everything like that. So. Pain is not the enemy of love. It's the turbocharger of love. That is, if you go through it and are still close. A lot of times we go through the pain and that drives us apart. Uh, Especially in significant other and marriage relationships because it was never really love, it was business deal love. What's in it for me love, which is great as long as everything's going right and the way you want it. But once things start not going the way you want it, you become angry and you want to fight or flee. Or fight and then flee. Or, or something like that. But if you go through that pain together in harmony with each other, as hard as it is, maybe you have problems but you stick with it and get through it, Man, those are the kind of loves later in life that are more precious than gold and and that at the end of your life, that is the only thing you'll care about. You won't care about all the money. I I mean, not as a most important thing. Maybe as, as a other thing. But you'll care about people and your relationships with people. Okay? Well, any Long-term loving relationship is going to have pain sooner or later. Okay, uh, someone disappoints you. Uh, someone betrays you. Someone uh, gets sick. Um, life circumstances. Uh, all kinds of stuff. But there will be pain sooner or later. In in just about every single long-term loving relationship. Well, that's not the enemy of the relationship. That's not the enemy of love. It's what makes it even better to go through that thing together and still be in harmony. And that's what I think C.S. Lewis was saying is that um, if we go through the pain together, if we go through the pain in harmony and united, then in the times when there's not pain, that's what makes the happiness and contentment and peace just soar. And, and now you and that person are really getting um, a deeper and deeper and deeper love relationship, which is literally uh, beyond words. Another aspect about paradoxical parenting, and and this is really probably where I got the paradoxical part, is the very thing we want so badly to have children, and to play with them, and have fun with them, and go, go places with them, and things like that, are the things that end up driving us absolutely crazy and nuts. We don't get any sleep. Uh, they're doing things that we don't know why they're doing. They're, they're causing us all kinds of headaches, costing us a fortune in money. So that's some of the paradoxical part. You know, we, a lot of us, we can't wait to have children, but then when we do, they start driving us crazy more than anything else. Well, to me, that's that pain opportunity to grow and for the loving relationship to go higher and higher. And higher. Um, I've already addressed the uh, you know the 10 to 1 ratio and, and all that sort of thing. One thing that I started telling my kids and, and it was really for this purpose. I knew those statistics then where you, know, you have to have 10 positives to one negative or the kids going to grow up not having very good significance and security which will cause them problems all throughout their life. Uh, One of the things uh, I came up with in prayer, kind of, for me, and meditation, um, when they were about two years old, well, before that, but they really started participating with it when they were about two years old, I would go to each of my boys and I would ask them two questions, okay? Uh, First question, is there anything you can do that will make me love you more? And uh, that was a really interesting question the first few times I asked it because they really, really thought and, and suggested a few things. And Second question. Is there anything you can do that will make me love you less? Well, the answer to both questions is the same. And it's nothing. Nothing you can do to make me love you more. Nothing you can do to make me love you less. It is not dependent on your behavior, good or bad. I love you more and more all the time, no matter what. And I love you exactly as you are, with warts, faults and all, and more and more all the time. And um, I've done that their whole life. Today, if I even start, to ask the question. They'll both roll their eyes and just go ahead, nothing, 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 we know. Uh, but I'm okay with that. I, I don't ever want them to forget that. I want that to be in their hard drive pr- programming and, and on their main software running all the time. And um, as best I can tell, it is. We've succeeded at that. So. Um, that's one that I would highly recommend or whatever your version of that would be. So so one very important thing about parenting, I think. Um, Dr. Dan Gilbert from Harvard University did a wonderful study and then wrote a best-selling book about it called Stumbling Into Happiness. And if you boil the whole research down that they did on the campus at Harvard over years... um. Here's the distilled least common denominator. and This is a direct quote from Dr. Gilbert. Expectations are a happiness killer. Well, why are they a happiness killer? Because the instant you have an expectation about something in the future that you can't completely control, and anything in the future you can't completely control, It spikes your stress. It puts you into fight-or-flight stress mode as soon as you have that as your goal. Well, how long does it put you into stress mode? As long as you have that goal. Which, for a lot of people, is years. Okay. Well, how's that relevant to paradoxical parenting? We have expectations about parenting. We don't expect that our kid will do this thing that cost us $4,000. We don't, we don't expect that our kid is going to uh, not like us and yell names at us and uh, something like that. Okay. We envision all the great stuff, all right? And we tend to do that with everything in our life, not just parenting, okay? Well, you need to quit that. You need to give up that expectation. I, I say give it up to God. If, if you're more comfortable with it, give it up to love. All right? But you, you don't know that that's what's going to happen. And, that, and doing that now, like the C.S. Lewis quote, the pain then is part of the happiness now. Well, if you go into expectation about something in the future as a goal, you've just ruined your happiness now according to their study because now you're in stress mode. If you were already in stress mode, now it spikes your stress which gives you negative thoughts and feelings among other things rather than positive, okay? So give up your expectations. Let it be whatever it will be. Do your best just to uh, uh, treat your kids in truth and love and kindness. You can always be kind. Now, regardless of what happens later, sure you work toward things, but you may decide halfway there that's not really what's best and change course. All right. So stay in the present, give up expectation, and realize that when the pain comes, and it is when it comes, not if it comes, it comes a a thousand different times and ways before you're done with parenting, but when the pain comes, it's part of the happiness. It's part of the love. In fact, if you go through it in truth and love, it'll make that relationship better and better and better. And 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 you can feel it. And that feeling is worth more than a new car or a new house. It's everything, especially when you get to the end of your life. Those relationships will be everything. Well. Live like that now so that when you get there your relationships will be fabulous and you will be completely at peace and look back on your life and think that was good. Yeah, I would change some things probably, but that was a great life. And and you absolutely can get there, and I believe you can get there from wherever you are now. And these relationships with your children and children with your parents, man, that's got to be a top three issue of everything in your life for everyone. Okay? So, uh, make those relationships the best they can be. Expect the pain when it comes, see it as an opportunity. when when uh, you go through it, go through it in truth, love, and kindness until you get to the other side. And I promise, your relationships will get better and better and better. As a believer, I think one of the most important issues here is what does Scripture say? Yes, it says, it says um, Spare the rod and spoil the child, but as I've already said, what I've been told by theologians, and I'm not a theologian, what I've been told by theologians that means is not to hit, it means to to teach and instruct. Okay? And then the passage you no know, I, I hardly ever heard growing up, but is just as relevant. Colossians three twenty-one, I believe, says parents do not exasperate your children and cause them to lose heart. Well, I believe a spanking absolutely does that. It sure did for me, sure did for Hope, all right, as we've talked about it. I believe being unkind to them does that. I believe yelling at them does that. I believe so much uh, when we get frustrated as parents and then we react to our kids, so much of that reaction is exasperating to the child. Anger. Frustration. Irritation. Sad. Rejection. Um, all, all that sort of stuff, okay? So, however we parent, if we exasperate our children, we've missed it. We've gone over here and we need to immediately say we're sorry and apologize for that and speak the truth in love and listen and 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 have that North. I want to get, get them to 18 knowing, not thinking, not even believing, knowing they are 100% loved and accepted exactly the way they are forever. That'll never change no matter what they ever do. Alright? And that's the North. Okay? So, wh- what I would recommend is start keeping a log. Of when you feel exasperated and when your children seem to feel exasperated. And anytime you see your child feeling exasperated or something close to that or losing heart, discouraged, sad, hopeless, helpless, uh, no matter what I do I can't do anything right, all that sort of thing, man that is your clue, that is your cue. I need to intervene over here as a parent in this situation and try to pull their memories, their programming, their energy in their memories over to hear about this issue. And if you can do that, man, you have just averted a trauma that they're not going to have to deal with for the next 50 years. So um, as believers, let's not just take what one thing says and and that one thing even maybe not incorrect translation let's add the other one that says what we're to do and not to do love your children not exasperate and cause them to lose heart so um, have a wonderful blessed day